Welcome to The Marvelous Gospel, a podcast where we examine our favorite movies through a biblical, theological, and redemptive perspective. I'm Frank Gill, and I'm here with my surprise cameo, Tommy Hutchinson. <laughs> How you doing, what? man? I'm good, man. Surprise cameo. I love that this is planned, yet we're surprised. I'll take it, though. Uh, <laughs> no, nah, man, I'm good. It, um, it's been a good week. It's, it's, it's time to get back to talking about all things Marvel. Um, and, oh, dude, this movie... Was good. And which movie is it where we're talking about? Which one we got? We're talking about Captain America Civil War, which is which is like as big as any Avengers movie. I mean, it's it's packed with great characters that we know and also introduces new characters that are going to be beloved. Um, yeah. And I, I actually, when you said Captain America Civil War, I had to look it up because I actually thought it was called Avengers Civil War. So you're right. You, <laughs> so yeah, you are yeah, correct. Yeah. Because it is, there's so many people in this movie. And oh yeah, new people are added. And all, well, we'll get to that in a little bit. Um, yeah. But man, it is, There's a. this was a run of, of Marvel between this, Doctor Strange, um, which is not the best Marvel movie, but in my opinion, my favorite Marvel movie. We'll have yeah. that conversation another week. Um, but man, this was a string of good, like, and I'm not just talking about like decent, I'm like good Marvel movies well, between you know this comes, and others. So like after this is, um, is Dr. Strange. Um, we got, uh, Spider-Man Homecoming, yep. which is going to be great. Thor Ragnarok, which is a, 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 a top tier movie. And uh, Black Panther, which I think this is out of order from when I'm reading it, because I, I feel like Thor Ragnarok comes after Black Panther. But like, dude, there's so many good movies in this. Yeah, and we're so starting. Many. We're starting the times where you're actually seeing, and even Rotten Tomatoes would agree with us that this is the time when we're starting the good string of movies. Phase three is pretty exceptional. So, yes. well, let's let's dive into it. We are talking about the 2016 release of Captain America: Civil War. Directed by Anthony and Joe Russo, the, the 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 two brothers who has given us masterpiece after masterpiece, and also these are the same directors that uh, directed uh, episodes of Community. So these are these are legendary directors yeah. who have a very very broad um, ability to do both action and comedy. Anyways. Uh, the the rogues gallery of actors in this movie uh, is just classic Avengers stuff. Chris Evans, Robert Downey Jr., Scott Johansson, Sebastian Stan, Anthony Mackie, Don Cheadle, Jeremy Renner, Paul Bettany, Elizabeth Olsen, Paul Rudd. And now it's introducing a couple characters that we are going to be, be, be like love a lot. We have Chadwick Boseman, who is now introduced to us as T'Challa. Incredible. He's Black so Panther. good. Oh, he's so good. We have, which I in the movie I had to remember how big of a deal this was. Tom freaking Holland as Peter Parker Spider Man, and which which now in light of Falcon and Winter Soldier, no one realized that Daniel Bruhl, who is Baron Zemo, was going to be such a beloved character. Like in this movie, it was like at first I was like, oh, he's kind of like um, probably one of the weakest villains in the sense that he literally has no powers. Like yeah. he's just a person that's really smart. Yeah. And I kind of thought we would be done with him. Yeah. But when we get when we get him back in freaking fucking the Winter Soldier, he blew us away with how much we loved him. He's so great. Yeah. yeah. And before you dive into the synopsis, let's just pause for a second because Black Panther and and Spider Man in this, like Huge. I remember what 
are, are were monsters. Black Panther was one like at the time was a character that was unknown. People didn't really know a lot about sure. him because he wasn't a main Marvel stay. And Correct. and Chadwick Boseman played this character so well from here on forward. In my opinion, he became as popular, if not more popular than Captain America. Now, I know that's a hot take, but his character was so beloved. And when we get to the Black Panther movie, which we're going to come to in a little bit, um, in like a couple episodes, I think three or four after this, it he did such a good job. But his we'll dive into his character arc. But then I don't know if you remember, but when this movie came out, Spider-Man was the was like the hidden thing that they didn't tell about. So like if you watched the most yeah. recent, what I mean by that is if you watch the most recent Spider-Man, we didn't know, we kind of knew, but we didn't know that um, Andrew Garfield and Tommy McGuire were going to be in it. They were a quote-unquote hidden piece that you didn't know until you got to the movie For theater. Sure. For sure. This Spider-Man, Tom Holland, nobody knew. Nobody was, knew was coming. Because I think everyone thought it, it wouldn't happen. Like it was an impossible thing. Yeah, because there was the massive like, Sony and Marvel issues yeah. and – and I think it's like it's just there's this like euphoria of seeing it, like like bro. The the next time we experience this, besides I know we saw the Andrew Garfield and um and Tobey Maguire Spider Man's in the last movie, and that's epic. That's I mean yeah. that's so epic. But the next time we're gonna experience something like that, because I feel like it's also a little bit spoiled. Like everyone kept saying it's gonna happen, yeah. and you know we we weren't supposed to like believe it couldn't happen, whatever. But the next time this happens is going to be when the X-Men get introduced. Like, that is going to be like, oh my gosh. Why is my MCU character talking to Deadpool or Wolverine or <laughs> yeah. whatever? Like, it's going to blow our minds, and I I can't wait for it, dude. I mean, yeah. literally every bit, every, it seems like every MCU movie is, has this like, oh my gosh, I can't believe this is happening moment. And I love it. It's it's great. It's a great time. And And... Doctor Strange, Multiverse of Madness, we don't know. At the time of this recording, we don't know what type of cameos like that. So for this movie, it was so good. And Tom Holland from the get-go, like he kind of – I don't know if you caught. He joked about his origin as Spider-Man. He goes, well, I was about to – and I love this. Tony Stark goes, kid, I don't care. (laughs) (laughs) Like he was just like, I don't care. And so they even play at the fact of they never actually give his origin – and from here on out, we have yet to know how Tom Holland became Spider-Man. And and I think we're led to believe now that the which is I mean okay we're jumping the gun here because this is I have a whole thing in my in my conversation my observations about how much I love Spider-Man in this movie. But <laughs> okay, we'll but, get that. We'll get that. I just yeah I'm gonna hold my thought on what I was gonna okay, say in a second. Cool, you're good. But let me give you let me give you a quick synopsis. The governments of the world want more accountability over the Avengers, and this divides the members into factions. Captain America believes heroes should remain free and able to defend the world without government interference. Iron Man believes government oversight is not only wise, but also needed. This infighting leads to a discovery that will cause the Avengers to disassemble for a long time. What do you think about that? Yeah, it's good. It, that's, that's good. And I would add one more piece onto that because of New York and Sokovia. Okay. Yeah. They yeah, yeah. they have. That's, I think that's that's huge. Um, especially yeah. after rewatching these in order, how big of a deal the first Avengers with New York is because that yeah. that plays key. And dude, I have this in my notes too. Age of Ultron is gonna have lasting effects. Sure. Massive. Sure. And I didn't. I mean, like people are always like, oh yeah, that one in Civil War, they're a big deal moving forward. They're good, dude. Your synopsis was good. Yeah. Um, 
This was a fun. This was a fun movie, and actually, I was watching it with. It's been fun rewatching these with my wife. Yeah. Um, we every week will like have on the calendar. Hey, we're gonna watch it. She didn't remember most of this. Wow. And so as we were talking through, she you could actually hear her one time. She goes, oh, "I forgot that so <laughs> such and such happens." And I'm like, "I'm back in the movie theater. This is really fun, right?" It now. is awesome. Yeah. Well, let me give you some quick observations. Uh, you said something uh, a couple episodes ago. You're, you called this like heavy hitters. Like, what are your what are your heavy hitters? I forgot what you said. But uh, here are some of the things I noticed that I don't feel like I have a lot of like in my main discussion I want to talk about. But here it is. One, I still think long-haired Winter Soldier is the best Winter Soldier. Um, uh, just he, he just looks so tough. Like with his long hair and the mask, he looks so dope. I, I I'm sad they got rid of his mask, and I'm sad that they cut his hair. Like he looks so terrifying. But I guess that's like a part of the new character of of who he's supposed to be. He's supposed to be like taking off the Winter Soldier persona and supposed to be just um Bucky, right? But yeah, whatever. There's a line, I think. I think I don't know if it was by Tony or if it was by someone else. I forgot who said it. I should have wrote it down, but it, there was a line that someone said there's a correlation between generosity and guilt. And I thought mm. that was just an interesting line um, that we don't have the time to talk about. But like if we were ever to talk about tithing and giving, I want to make sure that people don't believe this. Like this is one of those things where I feel like is an error. Like mm. if Christians were to say this is a worldview that Marvel's giving. This is not a biblical worldview of like, I mean, scripture specifically says our generosity should come from a place of selflessness, not from a place of guilt. Um, and so I thought that was an interesting line that I wanted to bring up Two or three, whatever. Um, uh, uh, Peggy Carter's funeral was so outlandish. It was so bougie. It was so fa- like it was like a choir of children. I don't remember. I remember it being like whatever, but like. Um, it was just so like big, and I, and I know there's been like uh, conversations like time travel logic. Like, yeah. We don't. We, we I don't want to spoil what happens in Endgame, but I was looking for old Captain America in it. Um, and you don't. Oh really, yeah. But I, there's no evidence in the movie, obviously. No. But like, um, uh, it's just there, there's just there's so much happening, and there like even though there wasn't anything explicitly Christian, I mean there was a children's choir. It was in a church. It was like a priest officiating. It was interesting. Um, I love the scene when Hawkeye meets Black Panther for the first time. And he's like, oh, you're new. Hi, I'm Clint. And Black Panther says, I don't care. (laughs) (laughs) Dude, uh, there's something. Okay, I I, I think you said this. You said that the Black Panther is is as beloved or more beloved than Captain America. And and we'll talk about this when we get to Black Panther. I think it's because he is so morally principled like Captain oh. America that like you can't like there's never a um like he's never a bad guy. There's no like question about his motives ever, right? Like that's why you yeah. love Captain America, that's why you like Black Panther. But like there is something about like Black Panther's swagger that he has yeah. throughout these movies where he's just like he's super confident and he's like I just love it. he's like I don't care. And I was like that's awesome. And, um, and he's and his character, I have to say this, he has the sharpest and fastest character arc of oh, anyone. Yeah. Civil War in some ways it's this was like not in the main storyline. Obviously the whole storyline is who's right, Captain or the Cap or Tony. But this in some ways Civil War is almost Black Panther's origin story. I mean, because you you have his father dying, um, you have him going from 
so much anger and hatred, he goes, I'm going to kill Bucky because he instantly thinks that's what it is. To By halfway through the movie, he realizes that that's not the truth. To him then changing to this benevolent lord and hit like, and at, by the end of the movie, he's welcomed in his enemy into his own. I'm like, the character arc of Black Panther in this movie was beautiful, and they did it faster in this movie than it took than it's taking Tony through what nine movies or whatever we're through so far with him. Yeah, yeah. It was just uh, oh, we we could definitely use Black Panther as a discussion of like why revenge is not good for you. Like, um, I mean, we've talked about that in multiple movies, but I think this is a good example of not only revenge, but like forgiveness, reconciliation and redemption and showing grace to your enemies. I mean, it's it's pretty you're right. The character arc for Black Panther was so fast, but so well done. Yeah. I mean, T'Challa even have even has a point where he's someone's talking with him about his dad and he goes, death is not the end. It's more of a launch off point in my care, my culture. I mean, is there not just a beautiful like I had this these Philippians two vibes, the Philippians one, where Paul is saying like, for me to die is gain, um, but to live is Christ, and this idea of it's better for your sake, and it's almost the idea for him, death is the launching point. There was something in that line that just made me like my soul happy. It was like, yeah, that's true. Um, yeah, and I mean. Actually, and- and we say all the time, like death is a doorway for the rest of your life. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like whether whether it's dying to yourself or actually dying to enter into eternity. Yeah, that's beautiful. Um, I love every single thing about Spider-Man in this movie. Everything about Spider-Man, from the way he was introduced to um, the lines he gives, to the awkward relationship he has with Tony. Um the the the, the 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 conversation he had with May is so fu- it's like it's like uh, Tony's like you have an unusually attractive aunt <laughs> like, like <laughs> it is it is so, everything about it was so perfect like like um, I think Marvel knew if they were gonna reintroduce for a third time in less than twenty years a new or, at this point the third time in less than fifteen years another Spider-Man, they were going to have to be very, very intentional of making this the perfect Spider-Man. And I think they did. I think, I think Tom Holland is the perfect Spider-Man. He, he personifies everything about this, like that awkward teenager who is kind of driven by wanting to impress Tony. And Tony is like his uncle Ben in many ways. Um, I, I, uh, I, I was going to say this, and I was going to go back to what you, what we said earlier in the episode. Um, I, one of my favorite funny lines is this is where Marvel, I think, is starting to become more self-aware. I, I think they did that with Ant-Man, but they're doing this more self-awareness of like, okay, the more deeper we go into this Marvel Cinematic Universe, the more insane things are. Like, like it's like, like we have to recognize that things are insane. I think, actually, Age of Ultron personified that well when um, when uh, Hawkeye was like, we're, we're fighting killer robots and I have a bow and arrow, right? Uh, the whole episode of the whole movie of Batman is just insane. But like, there's a scene when uh, <laughs> Bucky and uh, Falcon are running, and Spider Man is like crawling on the window, and then uh, Bucky's like, "Who is that?" And Falcon's like, "I don't know." Everyone has a gimmick, <laughs> <laughs> and I that was so so funny and so silly. And then like that whole interaction between Spider Man and those two guys were so great because it's like. They didn't know what to do with Spider-Man. And Spider-Man's like, I'm just here to help Tony. And then, like, the way, like, um, when, 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 when Winter Soldier punches Spider-Man, 
and he grabs his fist and he's like, whoa, that's a cool arm. And Bucky could not fathom how Spider-Man's doing that. Yeah. And then and then when he webs everybody up and and then uh, they're talk of I think uh Bucky says something and Falcon's just like I hate you. <laughs> like, <laughs> which sets up the relationship that we're gonna see if I can win a subject, which is so great. I, I think it's so great. Okay, I was gonna say this. You talked about how um we, you know this is a, this is supposed to be like Spider-Man's origin story and Tony like kind of like skips that and doesn't want to hear about the spider biting him or Uncle Ben or anything like that. Yeah, whatever which it I is. think which I think is so good. Like this is like the Batman problem, right? We always go back to the origin and we always kind of regurgitate that. And actually I think this is what was the strength about the next, the, the most recent Batman is because it doesn't kind of regurgitate the same story over and over again. No. But like, I think one thing Marvel has done really well with this Tom Holland Spider-Man is they've done something I've never seen the movie do is they take their trilogy of the Spider-Man and made that the origin story. And it yeah. blows me away. And so I don't want to spoil anything because there's people who probably haven't seen The Last Spider-Man still. But, like, basically, you know, they've taken, you know, traditional trilogies. The first movie is the origin story. Second and third. Spider-Man doesn't really get an origin story. You kind of see a f- almost a fully-fledged Spider-Man by his first movie. And then he only gets he only gets... He's in space by, you know, yeah. towards the end. It's like, yeah. it is insane where Spider-Man goes. And let's let's clarify origin story. So yeah, by yeah. origin story, it's not, we're saying like, there's no origin story in terms of how did he get his powers. We right. don't know that. What what you're talking about, these three movies together, is how he becomes the Spider-Man. There's a difference. So yeah. what I mean by becomes a Spider-Man, not how he got his powers, but how does he get to be who he is in terms of what drives him? What yeah. makes him who he is? And the three movies set that up really well. And actually, that's what I'm talking about with Black Panther. Civil War is T'Challa's origin story where it's describing how he gets to be and figure out what's most important for him. But, dude, no, you're totally right. Tom Holland nailed this. That was the perfect casting because he he was a no-name before this. Like, nobody knew who he was. And Marvel blew it out of the water with him. Um, And not only they blew it out of the water, him and Tony – as we get going in the movies, their interaction is so good. So well, and good. I, and and I mean, this is just the the level of just like the way Marvel cast people. Like they're so good at casting nobodies. They're now casting more famous people. But like Tom Holland is legitimately going to be one of the biggest actors of our lifetime. Like he's going yeah. to be, he's going to be on the same level as, as prolific as, um, uh, Tom, Tom Cruise. Cruise, yeah, yeah, Brad Pitt, like whatever giant A-lister celebrity, he is that already with Gen Z, and he's going to have a type of legacy that that like I don't think we can even fathom at the moment. He's yeah. he's already made some kind of lame movies, but he's <laughs> but he's going to he's going to be casted as the premier actor, I think, for a very long yeah. time. So, anyways, oh, totally. I got two. I got two things. I want to hear your observations. One, uh, Zemo. He has this line that I think is actually a, a somewhat of a biblical reference. He says, an empire that gets toppled by its enemies can be built again. One that is toppled from within is destroyed forever. And uh, Jesus has a similar kind of phrase. We're talking about like, um, um, you know, I'm like blinking on like the exact wording. But basically like a house that's divided will implode on itself. Like it, it cannot, it cannot work. And I think that like he uses that as a rebuttal to the Pharisees. 
about why he he's not being possessed by Satan or like why he's not working for the devil. But like, there's also like these implications about like the body of Christ and infighting and how like if there's infighting amongst the body of Christ, like it's gonna be a problem. The last thing is this, and I get this goes back to Black Panther's character arc. There, man, it's so good. Like he he he's convinced that Bucky's a bad guy and he chases after him. And by his rage of his anger and the rage of his like um, his grief, he starts to go after Bucky and he eventually realizes he's wrong. Then he goes after Zemo and then realizes what Zemo was doing and why he was doing it. Ultimately saves Zemo's life from committing suicide and then takes in uh, 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 Bucky to help fix him. From his problems, which is which is mind-boggling, and I think ultimately that is what sets up his his relationship with Killmonger in the Black Panther, because I, I, which is like which he which he couldn't save Killmonger because Killmonger ultimately chose his own path. But like, um, man, it is it, it he breaks the cycle of violence, and he does what Christ. I mean, literally, violence only begets more violence. And if, if the Will Smith situation has shown us anything, it's like well, violence is never the answer. Um, but uh, but what the Black Panther situation shows us is that like he not only does that, but he does the opposite. He shows grace and he saves the villain from killing himself. That is amazing. yeah. And when we get to the Black Panther movie. If it works out, we have a special guest coming on, and we've talked to him in the past. He wants to dive into that. Black Panther's picture of violence versus uh, Killmonger's vision of violence and how they chase after peace. Um, yeah, we got a, we got a special guest hopefully lined up for that. We're working on it. Um, sure. But no, it is what? What do you got? What are your observations? I, I got a couple of them. Um, I the so Falcon and Winter Soldier dives into this more. But if you remember the opening scene of Civil War, Bucky is on one of his old missions, which we end up finding out is him killing Tony's parents. Um, Dude, Bucky's terrifying. Like, I think he gets downplayed a little bit. Like, he's legitimately... They set up his power level from the beginning really, really well. This is one thing Civil War, I think, actually did well. Um, By power level, I'm talking about how strong is someone really. So we joke about how Hawkeye has bow and arrows versus Wanda, who can destroy things with her mind. They're different power levels. Um, Bucky is an insane power level. And then when you get Spider-Man fighting Bucky later on, it just shows you actually how crazy strong the, what, 14-year-old Spider-Man or whatever we're supposed to believe he is. I just, I thought that that was, and I'm going to say this, I think he'd make a better Captain America, but that's another conversation for another day. I I like what they're doing with Falcon as Captain America. I think he can play the heart, so I get that. But just in terms of if you want a one-for-one in terms of, character and powers i think bucky does it better but anyways um uh tony has a line he goes when he's when he's trying to work on ultron they're like man you're still grieving because he's talking about like how he this what happened in sokovia he blames himself and tony straight up says i'm avoiding processing my grief i can't do that i can't let myself do it i mean just the the realness i don't know somewhere in the line i would love to hear the the story Something happened in someone's lives, it, whether it was Kevin Feige or a writer or something, that caused them to realize how grief affects them. Because starting in Ultron and moving forward specifically, dude, and well, I guess you could go back maybe to Iron Man 3 a little bit. Um, but grief becomes a mainstay where I feel like other movies, someone dies and there's a funeral and then it's over, right? 
Like they don't really dive into, whereas Marvel is going to be, no, we're going to head first into grief. And I think this is what actually makes Marvel more grounded than other sci-fi things out there is they're willing to process through the emotions of it. Um, and they're even showing the consequences someone like Tony who doesn't process through it. And he's he's sitting in it. Um, I don't know. He even has a line where he says, it helps ease my conscience when he's talking about working on things. Um, or excuse me, when having someone oversee him. That's what he says it. But um, if you hear my son screaming, he's literally in the basement yelling for <laughs> Sarah upstairs. So uh, anyways, um, uh, I thought there's another line in there um, where I think it's Tony who says this, but he goes, victory at the expense of the innocent is not victory at all. I just, just that idea. And actually, this is what actually makes Jesus on the cross even crazier. When you think of that line, victory, let me say that line again, victory at the expense of the innocent is not victory at all. I'm like, actually, the ultimate victory is the innocent man dying and being at the expense of everyone else. And so there's something in that line that I'm like, we re- we listen and we go, oh, that's so true. Victory at the expense of the innocent. And let me say, from a cultural standpoint, that is true, right? Okay, like I want to say like war and those types of things were victory at the expense of the innocent. No, that is wrong. But there is an irony in Jesus himself being the ultimate innocent one who's at his expense, victory is ultimately made. Dude, there's so much in there. Um, I think we touched on this before, but in case we didn't, where did Wanda's accent go? Um it's still yeah. there. It's still bad, but it's still I, there. This is this is on the same level as why does Rhodey look different? Or why does Bruce Banner look different? Like, stop asking the question and just move on. <laughs> That's what yeah. we're supposed to do in this situation. Yeah. Um, we'll dive more into this. Yeah, no, you're totally right. Uh, we'll dive more into this next um, thing in, in Doctor Strange because it's a big part of it. Um, but in this, uh, I, was, I was watching it. I'm like, every decision has a cost. Every single one, period. And what Marvel is doing is they're taking, all right, so Tony, you made Ultron. Civil War is going to be the consequences of that. And so they just, every decision, we're going to dive into that here in a little bit. Um, so I'm not going to go too much. Uh, I have to say this. Vision is awesome. I just, the more and more that I spend time with Vision and see him, um, they underplay, in WandaVision, they underplay how strong he really is. I, 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 he is stupid strong. And I said this before, I love the writing for Vision. He's just wisdom personified. He's got this gentleness to him. Um and it's almost a way like his name is an irony. He's a vision of what we're supposed to look like. There's a whole thing there. Um, it's really good. And then uh, this is, I'll leave it to uh, um, this to be, uh, there's two, I got two more. Um, well, yeah, two more. One of them is this at, at, at uh, the funeral um, where for, uh, for, I keep wanting to calling her Captain Carter. It's not Captain Carter. It's just Carter. Uh, Natasha is there and talking to Rogers and in this movie, we don't actually break this down, but there's two sides to the civil war captain or Tony and Natasha's on captain's side in terms of, we need oversight. Excuse me. No, it's Natasha's on Tony's side. Let me get that correct. And, and, and cap is on his own, but even when cap is grieving and Natasha's his enemy, Natasha still shows up to the funeral. I just, I think this is this beautiful picture that is we in the church should take of being unified. Even when we disagree, like we can have disagreements, we can, but there's still a that doesn't excuse us from loving one another. That doesn't excuse us for being there. And I thought this was like even Cap. I don't remember the exact wording. I don't have it written down. But Captain goes, "What are you doing here?" And Natasha was like, "I'm always here for a friend, even if we don't agree." 
there's just this beautiful picture of true community and relationship that I just thought was gorgeous. Um, just this really, especially after all they've been through. And then this is just a fun line. Spider-Man says this to Rogers um, when they're on, on both sides and Rogers like, who are you? And he's like, I'm Spider-Man. And he, and, and Spider-Man and Rogers are fighting and Spider-Man goes saying this to cap. He goes, you're wrong, but you think you're right. That's what makes you dangerous. I'm like, Oh man, is that not like, is that not crazy to think about? Like you're wrong, but you think you're right. And that's actually what makes you dangerous. Um, I don't know. And there is this final in the final fight, the very final one, there was an homage to I could do this all day. Like that was in there. So I mean, we got we, we if we're gonna if it's gonna be there, we gotta point it out. But I I do have to ask you one question before we dive into our big things. Who was right, Frank? Captain or Tony? Who was right? Yeah. I ultimately I I think that I I lean more towards Captain America. I think he the movie wants us to lean towards Captain America, but I also don't think that like Tony's wrong in thinking that there needs to be more accountability or oversight. Um uh I I I, I the reason why I lean towards Tony, uh sorry to, to Cap is the reason why he talks about why he doesn't want it because he has seen how the um the motives or the um uh, what's it called? The, the 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 agendas of governments can change, and as they change, they'll just be kind of like the um, the puppets for their agendas. And and there's a line where t- where he says that to Tony, and Tony says, "Well, that's fine." And ultimately, I think it's like Tony is trying to say, like, it absolves them from the it absolves him from the responsibility of the decisions they make. If they have accountability and, 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 and Captain America, it's like, we don't need to be absolved from our responsibility. We just need to be making the right choices. And I think that's so like, it's so complicated, which we're, we're going to talk about. But like, I think that, um, that ultimately is why I think I like Cap. What do you think? Yeah, actually, Tony to kind of that he actually has, says it helps ease my conscience knowing someone else is making the decisions. He, that's one of the lines he says in there. Um, so I'm going to go two points of view. I th- I'm going to agree with you in that the movie wants us to land that Cap is right, right? I think they actually are playing off that a little bit with the Winter Soldier and with Hydra and how the agenda of Hydra is impacting him and he becomes a villain and not because of his own choices, but because of the choices that were made for him. So I do think you're right. Marvel wants us to agree with Cap. Um, I like playing devil's advocate. And even as I'm sitting here, I think there is a part where as a follower of Christ, I actually think if we believe that Christ is our head and he's the one who's, who is ultimately, we should fall into Tony's line of we should submit to authority. Okay, um, explain that. So in scripture, it talks about submitting to authority. Right. And so there is right, a right, part right. where we need to. Um, I do think there is the part, though, of also like we'll talk about – I'm sure at some point we need to talk about civil disobedience and what does that mean and how do we do that because that is a part of – are a part of it as well. You see that in the Old Testament. But I do think there's a piece to the submission of Tony where he's willing to submit. Now, I think his motives are wrong. 
All right, his motives are because he was, doesn't want to deal with his guilt. He doesn't, he's that, and by the end of the movie, he's ready to kill Cap and Bucky because he goes into an emotional rage. His grief finally overtakes him when he finds out who kills his parents, and he goes ballistic. Um, but I think there is a piece that we can't ignore with Tony in terms of the submission piece as followers of Christ. Because if we think we're totally independent away, making our own decisions, we make what's right for us, I think we also have to think through what does it mean to submit to Christ? What does it mean for him to be the head and authority? So well, in terms of you're, you're you're like getting into my discussion right now. Yeah, I know that's why I'm like I'm tiptoeing it and I'm gonna stop here because hey man, what was the big thing you saw in this movie? <laughs> well well I'll say this. one thing is this is uh vision I think was conflicted on this and he is wisdom totally. personified, right? So if he's wisdom personified and he was conflicted on this, that that's makes good. me feel good. Two, I actually think if I were to be – if I were to choose the position of anybody in this, I would do what Clint does. Just retire. Like, I, like, <laughs> like at this point, like, all right, you – I'm not going to pick between um, – this is very inappropriate. Uh, there's a South Park episode where it talks about choosing between – actually, I can't even talk about this, dude. It's so inappropriate. <laughs> but basically, it's like, it's like choosing between two things that are neither good. And yeah. and uh, and Clint is like, I'm out of here. I'm just not gonna. I'm not. I'm just not gonna choose. I'm just gonna retire. I think that's what I would do. It's like, yeah. it's something I would want to retire at that point, anyways. I would retire. All right. Well, I think this. I think this does a good job of actually setting up because both of us, when we were we were going back and forth on what do we want to talk about, we both wanted to kind of talk about similar things because this movie, in a lot of ways, we could talk about a lot of stuff. But even in Who Is Right, there's this art of decision making and how to do the right thing, which I think is is actually a big deal. And as followers of Christ, I think that's something we want to do. So how do we do that? So Frank, as you see it in this movie, how do you do the right thing? How do you do the right thing? That's a good question. I think calling this movie a superhero movie actually limits what it actually is. I think this movie is actually all about ethical dilemmas. And and when I say ethical dilemma, I mean you are confronted with a decision that both have are going to have consequences to it or both of them it's like it's like um there's a uh kind of um they talk about this in the good place the, the tv show where like okay there's a train and you have to choose between which track you want to train on one track kills one person the other track kills 20 people um what what track do you go on it's like both of those are terrible decisions but how do you make the right decision right and so I feel like this movie gets entered into the echelon of films that are all about ethical dilemmas, like Walking Dead, Breaking Bad, and Lost. Like all those three shows are ultimately a constant conversation of ethical dilemmas. What decision are you going to make and how are you going to live with those decisions? So it is a movie that forces you to ask, what would you do in a no-win situation? And there's a line from Vision that I think is, is particularly um, powerful. He says, our very strength incites challenge, challenge incites conflict, and conflict breeds catastrophe, which is freaking, he's a proverb, like a walking proverb everywhere he goes. And the Bible actually does a lot of like what he just did, like this leads to this, which leads to this, which leads to this. And so it reminded me of James chapter one, where, where um, James says, but each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desires, then desire when it is has conceived, gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. There's this, there's this conflict. We we all have conflict. We all live in conflict. 
because of sin. We live in a fallen world, so mistakes can be made and and things can be done to us that are bad. So like in the conversation of the of this of this movie, there were bad guys that were coming to New York. There was situ like like there's these situations either created by them or outside of them that they had to deal with them. And because of that, there were consequences to those actions. People died. I think a case in point is when, when in the very beginning of the movie, when Wanda was trying to save Cap and everybody from the explosion, she bottled it up and tried to throw it up into the, I don't know, space, I guess, but it ended up exploding into that building and killed so many people. Like these are all like, very difficult, complicated things with very complicated consequences. And therefore, you are faced with this question. In this movie, you have Cap, who's on Team Freedom, and Tony, who's on Team Government Oversight. And both, as we just discussed, have valid arguments and merits these issues, but all of them also have um, severe problems. This is a, like I said, this is a Captain America movie. So the movie wants to orient you to see Cap as the one making the virtuous right decision. But there is a moment that, that I actually have audio for that I want to play for us where I think it solidifies Captain America in his decision to fight government oversight. So just to set it up, um, Peggy Carter, which is Steve's love interest from the first Captain America, she's a very old lady now, and she's di- she just died. And um, at the funeral, uh, he, you know, he's there, he's watching, he's sitting next to Falcon. And who comes up to speak? Um, at the funeral is Sharon Carter, the woman in Winter Soldier who was told to protect her, to protect um, Captain America, and and he realizes for the first time who this is. Sharon talks about that, and also Sharon talks about something that his Aunt Peggy told her. Listen to this clip. Margaret Carter was known to most as a founder of S.H.I.E.L.D., but I just knew her as Aunt Peggy. She had a photograph in her office, Aunt Peggy standing next to JFK. As a kid, that was pretty cool, but it was a lot to live up to, which is why I never told anyone we were related. I asked her once how she managed to master diplomacy and espionage in a time when no one wanted to see a woman succeed at either. And she said, compromise where you can. But where you can't, don't. Even if everyone is telling you that something wrong is something right. Even if the whole world is telling you to move. It is your duty to plant yourself like a tree. Look them in the eye and say no. You move. First off, freaking powerful, dude. Like, that's so good. It's so powerful. Uh, Beautifully written. And right. I'm just going to say this, and before you dive in, like, this makes Falcon of the Winter Soldier when she's the power broker and she comes out as that. This makes oh. this scene so messed up. So messed up for so many reasons. I just but realized that. Yeah. It's That's- when I'm watching this, like, so if you don't know what I'm talking about, in later Falcon Winter Soldier, we find out that this same character who's telling him, hey, don't compromise, she compromises and is using all of her ability for her own selfish gain. We think. We don't really know yet. So, anyways. There's, there's a moral dilemma even in what she's saying in light of what we find out about her in the future. But going back to what you said. Sorry. Also, giants – I mean the, the biggest spoiler in oh. Falcon and Winter Soldier. Yeah. But, uh, but, um, but, like, uh, but like, yeah, Sharon says you do the right thing even when no one else is doing the right thing. <sighs> so in a world 
full of pressure to pick a side, right? Right or left, conservative or liberal, Popeyes or Chick-fil-A, Will Smith or Chris <laughs> Rock, whatever. You, Christian, are to choose to do the right thing, even if the binary choice that you're presented with doesn't fit what the right thing is. Um, so there's this, there's this um, in the book of Joshua, chapter five, the people of God are camped outside of Jericho and they're, they're wanting to take over Jericho. And Joshua encounters an angel of the Lord dressed in armor and carrying a sword. And so Joshua goes to the angel and asks, are you for us or are you for our enemies? And the angel's response is, no. <laughs> I love, I love just like, no, I'm not, I'm not, that's, that's the, the binary decision you're making doesn't fit what the angel's doing. It's kind of like, yeah. um, you know what it's kind of like? It's kind of like um, in Age of Ultron when they woke up Vision and they were like, are you, basically they asked the question, like, are you here to, are you for us or against us? And he's like, neither. Like, I don't, I don't have, see, he couldn't answer that question. And then he picks and, up the hammer and they're all like, we're good. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like, I know you can't trust me or not, but like, yeah. we got to do something. I thought that was really good. Um, so the, 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 I love that, uh, I love this because uh, after he says no, uh, the Lord just tells uh, uh, Joshua to take off his sandals and worship God where he is. And, and I love this because Joshua is focused on the mission. And he thinks that any person is either there to support Israel or in opposition against Israel. And the angel, who's a representative of the Lord's army, is saying that he isn't necessarily for Israel or against her enemies. The conversation shouldn't even be which side God is on. But the question actually is, are you on the side of God? And that small nuance is important because oftentimes you and I want to say, would God be on my side or their side? And that's not ever the right question. The question is, are you on the side of what, who God is and what he's doing? And so this changes the conversation in every ethical dilemma. If, if Captain America is a Christian, which we, we only have one line in this entire series that may indicate that he's a believer. He's at minimum a monotheist. But, but like <laughs> the question isn't, are you for government oversight or not? The question should be, what does believing the gospel look like in this moment, right? What That's does good. believing the gospel look like when you're in a no-win situation? James tells us that um, every choice you make, there is a non-sinning answer. There, there, there's always an out where you choose, where you can choose not to sin. So if you're ever in a situation and the, the, the solution you come up with may cause you to compromise and sin, that's not the solution God would want you to do. God always gives you a sinless option. Unfortunately, those sinless options oftentimes lead to more heartache, more trouble, sometimes more financial difficulties, broken relationships, because sometimes a sinless option is causing you to choose the path of most resistance in some situations. Um, so the question we should be asking ourselves is, what does a sinless choice look like in every situation? And this is hard to figure out sometimes. This is why we have to rely on God giving us wisdom and leaning on the Holy Spirit. And this is also why God gives us people to speak into our situation and help us figure out what to do. But God allows us to be in ethical dilemmas for the purpose of relying on him more. It is easy to, 
to pick a side where everyone is on. And honestly, it's also easy to pick the side of the contra- contrarian, right? Like if you, it's, we all know people who just does the opposite because they want to see the world burn, right? Like, like uh, neither of those options are necessarily the right option. But to think biblically and apply the gospel is the hard work that I believe God wants us to do in every single situation. Tommy, what do you think about that? No, I think it's good. I think in a lot of my pastoral conversations and even when I'm having it, we're, we're trying – decision-making is a part of life, right? And how to make the right decision is good. Um, to quote one of my mentors, I mean, he, he always says, uh, when you're trying to make a decision, worry less about being right and more about being wise. He goes he – goes, yeah. It's so good. I mean, literally, I'm walking with so many broken relationships right now. And in those broken relationships, so many of the people in that relationship are like, I just want the other person to re- to, to like realize they're wrong and come over. And one thing I've realized as I'm walking to these couples is like, it's not if you're if your desire is just to be right in the relationship, you've already lost a relationship. Yeah. Like it's not it's not the solution here. Yeah. The yeah. issue is much less about making the right decision and more about being the right kind of person. Yeah, and, and I think in a any given situation, what would a fill in the blank type of person do? Well, that fill in the blank could be like honest, righteous, loving, gentle God. Like the right kind of person makes the right kind of choice, and, and I, I think that's the heart of the matter. Um, it it, it it's not about being right. When we're trying to be right, we're putting an emphasis on exactly what you said. I'm right, you're wrong, but it's much more about the heart as it is about what we're thinking. Um, like our identity is shaped by what we ultimately love. And so if we love being right, <laughs> like that's going to impact our decisions. Um, yeah, kind of what I'm talking about or what I want to jump into is actually just kind of jump. I'm just going to keep going with riffing off of yours because they're so tied together. Because I think what I want part of what I see in this too is you and I even talk like, like who's right, Cap or Tony? And we're like, well, kind of both and kind of not, right? And so we have what um, a lot of people refer to as a morally gray area. It's like it's it's not so in the in the ops in the in the choices we make, there are times in life where there's a clear right and a clear wrong, or some people call it a clear black and clear white, right? Well, in some cases it's very clear. Hey, should I kill so and so? No. Like the Bible is so clear. God's heart is so clear on that. I mean, he gives the Ten Commandments, thou shalt not murder. Like that's in there. Um, and so like that's a clear black and white. Um now you have the other ones where it's like, well, what about morally gray? What about the the issues in life that are issues? And like, like I don't want to get into the heavy, heavy haters. Like, there's some really tough ones um, where we get into situations. But like, like, should I buy a car? Well, it's not a morally right or morally wrong thing, right? Um, well, what should I do for a job? What's God's will? Should I or should I not do this job? Uh, what should I do like when I'm living in like my roommates? How do I interact? Should I have roommates? Should I not? Uh, what will I do on when I have vacations? How should I spend them? Like, right, they're decisions we make, but they're not morally right or morally wrong, right? Like, they're not. They're, and so, how do we handle these? This isn't a true morally gray. A morally gray issue is when you enter into something and you're like, "Oof, we need to dive into." It. And I think when we're making decisions, uh, I think there's a couple things. First off, we need to go back and understand the God of the Bible and His character. I really think when we're making decisions and how we spend our time, our money, our resources, every decision we make, we need we need to look at it in terms of what is his character like? Um, our spiritual health is incredibly important in us making decisions and how we do things. Um, every decision we make has consequences, period. Um, there was, when we're talking about morally gray, um, 
it's hard because like I have these these like different scenarios in my head, and I want to bring one up, but I don't have one that's definitive enough uh, to go out there. It's like so like if we make a decision, if we're having a conversation with someone who disagrees with us, and they want us to. Um, I was talking. One pastor was talking about it this way. I'll use this podcast. Um, is a it's a really good podcast. It's called Theology in the Raw. It's by Preston Sprinkle. It's phenomenal. He's diving into different theological issues, and in one of them, he was talking to a church that was trying to figure out how do they interact with people who have different that want them to call them by different pronouns, right? So, like that's a very that's well, we, like it's not a clear black and white issue on what should we call a person by their pronouns. Now, I think the Bible has some things to say about sexuality. We can dive into that. Um, later, not, not now, this is a PG to G rated podcast for a reason. Um, but he was saying you have consequences to every decision you make. So he was talking to the church. He goes, I'm not going to give you an answer. And of course the church on this podcast, like, come on, man, that's like, that's why we're here. And he goes, look, there's, there's consequences to your decision. You could call a person by their pronouns and you may be forfeiting the opportunity to speak truth in their lives because they think you agree with them. Or you could choose to not call them pronouns and sacrifice the relationship. And so he's like, you have two decisions to make. You have two of them. He goes, which one do you want to do? And then you have to be okay with the consequences at hand. And I think that's what I'm trying to get at is every decision in a morally gray area is going to have consequences and they lead to more decisions in that same direction. And I think this is why like there, if we're going to display our heart of God, what is it? If we think God is a rule mongering, truth telling God, we may lean towards wanting to call a person what we think they should be called. If if we think that he is is a um, hippie God, <laughs> we may lean towards the other side. And, and that's what I mean by like who we think God is and who we display is going to lead to our, our, the way we make decisions. And I'm not, and like, th- that's a heavy one. All right. Like that is one, like even theologians and Frank, you and I are probably sitting here going like, we have different thoughts on what that could be and which is the right and which is the wrong one. The, the, the point of this conversation is not to say this is what we should do. All right. The point of it is just to bring up that there are morally gray things that we're not sure what to say. And every church is going to disagree. Every Christian is going to make disagree on this. So like when it comes to, I don't know, before I move on, like, what do you have thoughts or ideas, Frank, that you want that you have in here? I mean, I think like, uh, I, I think we, when you listen to us say, Hey, um, we, we don't want to give an exact scenario of like how to default to what is the gospel right answer. It's because like, like, so you kind of mentioned this, like some decisions don't necessarily have a right or wrong answer, but the the results of your faithfulness to the Lord in the decision you make is probably as important as the decision you make, right? And so I think that like being being cautious, I think you, you can sense there's a cautiousness of like, let me give you three examples of a complicated relationship. Like, like, I, like I, it, it, that would be easy to do, but I think that's the point of what an ethical dilemma is. And what 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 we show what we're trying to show you, and I think Scripture even demonstrates this. It's like I, I here's I mean case in point. It's like like Stephen, like when he gets stoned, like um, like they want him to be silent, they want him to stop talking, and he refuses to do that. And he knows that if he if he if he continues to if he if, if he's silent, he may be like. Um, tarnishing an opportunity to share the gospel with other Jews. I honestly think if Stephen was silent, it would have slowed the progress of the church and in, in, the, in the early church. Um, I think I think his death, his martyrdom, was the uh, kind of one of the big pushing factors that caused 
such a, an explosion in the church at that time. But like he made the decision to speak to be able to um to, to so that they can hear the gospel and and if they kill him, like his 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 death, his martyrdom was only an example of his faithfulness to the Lord. But at the same time, I would bet that there were believers back then who were much more quieter, but trying to quietly influence other, maybe like case in point, Jesus talking to Nicodemus. Like he went to him at Nicodemus went to him at night. And, and like, uh, this was a very private conversation that Nicodemus was like, should I talk to him? If I talk to him during the day, it might disqualify me from my role, da, 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 da. But ultimately, Nicodemus' decision to go to him at night, though it can be seen as a cowardice thing, ultimately showed that Nicodemus ended up being, I think it's implied, as a faithful follower. Because at the end of the death of Jesus, Nicodemus is there, I think, providing spices um, for the burial um, of Jesus. You know what I'm saying? So it's like, I think these are new, very, very nuanced situations that we have to be careful to not give absolutes. And that's the whole point of an ethical dilemma is it's hard to give absolutes. But the point of what it means to be a believer in these situations is being very, very critical on what does it look like to honor God in that moment. So if you're a parent and you have a kid who um, comes to you and says that they're gay, um, you know, Christians, I, I've seen Christians like basically cast that kid away. I don't think that's the right decision. I've also seen parents say, we wholesale adopt this kid's new desire and sexuality and 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 um, and ultimately like have changed churches so they can be in an environment that's affirming for that child. I don't think that's the right decision either. And I'm saying like they're, 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 these are those are very nuanced decisions that uh, that I think matter. I think there's a way to make one of, I don't know about kicking the kid out is ever a right decision, but like there's a, there's a way to make those decisions that may be unique to the individual that might not be true for me, but it depends on your faithfulness to what the Lord has for you in the truth of what God has presented in scripture. And I think this gets to exactly what Jesus was trying to say when he was, when the Pharisees come to him and ask him, what is the greatest commandment? They come to him and say, which, which rules do I need to follow? And their heart was so focused on the law that in their decisions, they were defaulting to like, what is the rule that I need to follow? Like we all want absolutes, like, right. We want the decision in some ways when Tony says it eases my conscience because someone else makes the decision for me <laughs> in some ways, that's kind of us. Like I would rather have someone make the decision for me. So I'm a, like, I'm not, I'm not carrying that weight. But I think even in the old Testament, um, if you ask someone like, what is what is what is your what is the um what is God's will for your life in terms of when I'm making decisions? If I'm trying to figure, I've had this conversation too. Like how what is God's will? The Old Testament person would say, "I know God's will," and they say, "What is it?" Well, it's to to God's will for their life. This would be to love God, love their neighbor, and obey His commands. And guess what? What does Jesus say? Love God, <laughs> love people, obey my commands. Like and, and so, I think some of these decisions. It's like you mentioned Stephen. Stephen had two options when he was about to be stoned. He did. One, he could say, my life is more important than what I believe, and so I'm going to save it and say whatever I need. Or he's going to say, no, actually, I believe Jesus who he says he is, and so I'm going to value him over my own life. And so his ethical dilemma of, do I sacrifice myself or do I die in, with what I believe in, I, I think it, is that kind of ethical dilemma. And I think at the heart of it, he's saying, I love God, and I love you so much that I want you to know how real this is. And he was willing to die for it. He was willing to go through whatever consequences necessary 
to show the love of Christ to that person. You, um, you said something that I think is really important. We often ask ourselves, what is the Lord's will for my life? And yeah. I think that like, I mean, I get really nervous when people are like, you know, well, God's will for me is this because God told me this. And I'm like, here's one thing that I know for sure about scripture is scripture has like one will for all people. And that's to like love God, obey him and live for him. I think what you're when we ask like, is it God's will for you to marry that person or move to that city? I think ultimately that there's a level of faithfulness that there's a way to either marry that person or not marry that person or move to that city or not move to that city that both can be the right answer depending on your faithfulness and motive in that situation. Does that make sense? Oh, um, totally. And, and so like, I, I think like um, we often seek so desperate, you said this earlier, we seek so desperately to make the right decision. But I think more often what we should be focusing is uh, on being the right person because when we, when our hearts are aligned to the Lord, the God, the Bible says that when our hearts are aligned to the Lord, God will give us the desires of our heart. We will be making the right decisions and the right choices when our hearts are so saturated in who He is that the overflow of our decision making is only ever going to be what the Lord wants for us. Now, that doesn't mean you're above accountability and approach, like seek wisdom. Be, be humble and allow other people to speak into your life. But ultimately I think that there's a sense that um, being the right person is much more important than making the right choice. Totally. And I think that's the piece of wisdom personified, which is what the irony in this movie of the person who is quote unquote wisdom personified is a vision and he's conflicted. I, I think that that like even Marvel itself is trying to play into that of he doesn't know what to do. And at one point he goes, Wanda, you can't leave. And then he all of a sudden lets her leave it's like you can tell he's genuinely trying to figure out what is the right thing to do. I would say this. If you're facing decisions and you're trying to figure out, you know, what do I do? What's right? What's wrong? What am I going? I'm like, first, um, pray about it. <laughs> and this is why community around other believers is so important. So important. Listen, can a group of believers sometimes lead you astray? Probably. Like that that could be a possibility, right? In the one in whatever Doctor Strange says in Endgame possibilities. There's probably at least one where they lead you astray. However, if we're chasing after Jesus together, this is where when we make the foundation of that following Christ, like being around others to help us walk through the decision. Man, there are times where I'm like clear as day. I've had times in my life I'm like, this is what I'm going to do. And then I talk to somebody who's a follower of Christ that I trust deeply, and they're like, they're outside of the situation and able to speak into it and show me what scripture has to say about it. I'm like, dang it, <laughs> that's not what I wanted to hear. But it's good because I need the wise counsel from others who are following Jesus, who have the same foundation of loving God, loving people that I do, and able to walk through it with them. Um, this is so clutch because I think like even my wife and I, so this is crazy. It's been a year ago that we moved to Wisconsin from Ohio. Um, yeah, my Ohio friends, it's been a year and yeah, I miss y'all. All right. One of the consequences of the decision of us moving here was saying goodbye to relationships. Um, and, and, and like we miss them. Like we do. My wife and I were just talking about this. We miss our friends there. But I think for the sake of the kingdom and the sake of what's going on, like I wouldn't trade the decision we made. Because it's been able, because the type of people that God's turning us to be. And man, I would say this, um, the process of making the decision is important to God too. Um, I think sometimes we get so focused on thinking through the end and what is the result and what do I need to do? God is concerned about what happens to you during the process, 
just as much as the decision. Think about um, Paul on the Damascus Road. Like he was blind for multiple days <laughs> and God was working on him in that before he at the very end, Paul was like, all right, it's time to go share the gospel with people, right? Like the process matters to God. It's called sanctification. That's the process, the spiritual formation. So I would say don't, when we're making decisions, jump to the conclusion or the end or where do I need to be, but rather also work through the decision-making with others and with other believers because who God wants us to be, he wants to shape our heart. He wants to conform us to the image of his son, to be more like his character. And sometimes the decisions put in front of us, he wants us to weigh through. Um, and yeah, like if, if, you're, if you're working through this, like talk to somebody. Like if you got decisions in your life that you're working on, like don't hold it in. Like community is designed for a reason by God. The church is designed by God for us to work through these things together. Yeah. Epicos Church, if you're listening to us right now, talk to your campus pastor. <laughs> we say or this small like, group leader. Or your small one. group leader. Yeah, 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 yeah. Like, don't make these decisions in a, in, a, in isolation and, and allow wisdom to speak into your life. Hey, great episode. You know, I knew that this was going to be a deep one and a long one because we didn't get into the deep dive until like the 30 minute mark. And so here we are sitting at an hour. And, uh, and man, I think we could go on for another hour. This movie is so good it's it's, yeah. it's it's criminally underrated on my list i need to like really reevaluate my list yeah and, and we didn't of... even talk about the end fight scene and how what happened with tony when he finds out who killed his parents and emotion and grief and we didn't even dive into that and that was clutch yeah in this movie oh, i mean tony uh a cap laying his shield down like cap sparing him he could have killed him and 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 man, obviously, when we get to Falcon and Winter Soldier, that image of the shield oh, over dude. the head, oh, oh it's so dude. crazy. And oh. the fact that he like he like spared him and just shut off his 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 suit and then left the shield there. It's just there's so much there. And then obviously, I just can't get over the end how beautiful it is that Wakanda, though he killed their king, they or no, he didn't kill the king, but though they brought him in. They they're choosing to heal him, and um, it's so freaking good, so very yeah. good. Hey, and I will, I will yeah. say this: the the decision making thing that we're talking about, um, the end of Doctor Strange. I just watched this last night. That's why it's so big. Like the end of Doctor Strange is dealing with this very moral dilemma of: do I obey the laws of nature or do I obey the laws of humanity? It's a direct conversation, and it leads two different sorcerers as they put it in different paths. So there's a little um, fun. Yeah. Oh, Doctor Strange is one of my favorites. Uh, yeah. It's so good, but anyway. So good. Hey, well, this was uh, a blast. Uh, please follow us on Instagram. If you look at the show notes, all the links are there, including our personal socials. We'd love to connect. If you have any feedback for us, please let us know, man. We want to. We want to hear you all. If you're enjoying the show, what do you want to hear more of, and all that kind of stuff. Dude, and the next movie. So next week is Doctor Strange. Then we're Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2, Spider-Man Homecoming, Thor Ragnarok, Black Panther, Infinity War. Like the next five movies might be peak echelon of like concurrent movies of greatness. We suffered through phase one. We made it through Iron Man, Iron Man 2, The Hulk, The Basement of Marvel. And we are at the echelon and we haven't even reached Endgame yet. Like Phase three is wild, man. It's so, oh, it's so it's good. So, uh, um, and then eventually, I mean, we're going to catch up and we're going to be current and we're going to be talking about like right now, um, Moon Knight just came out and that show is, I mean, I cannot <laughs> wait to talk about Moon Knight. There is, there's so much theology. I mean, we did say Age of Ultron is the most, uh, spiritual theological movie. 
I mean, I think Moon Knight is shaping up to be even way more like yeah. theological. Loki, Moon Knight, and, and Age of Ultron are all right there in terms of massive theological implications. It's going to yeah. be great. It's going to be great. Anyways, uh, follow us on Instagram. Give us a review on Apple Podcasts and share this podcast with a friend. We will see you next week. And as we watch these amazing, amazing movies, remember not to miss The Marvelous Gospel. Oh, 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 o